As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. In 63 years of the League Cup, no side can match Liverpool's achievements in the competition. The final whistle, Liverpool have won the League Cup for the first time. And again, Wheelett's got it! Brilliant goal! Ronnie Wheelett, who got two last year against Spurs, has scored the second for Liverpool today. produces an absolutely magnificent goal to give the Premiership Club the lead. What a finish by I'm Kiever O'Neill, and ahead of the Reds playing in their 14th League Cup final, here at Walk On, we're going to relive Liverpool's nine previous triumphs. So relax and enjoy, whether it's milk, Coca-Cola, Worthington's, Carling or Carabao, drink it in. This is Liverpool's League Cup memories, as told by Jamie Carragher, Mark Lawrenson, Rob Jones, and our very own James Pearce, Simon Hughes and Tony Evans. I always feel when you play for a big club like Liverpool, playing for Liverpool's not enough, you've got to win. When you play for that football club, which is why it's special, is you don't just play for the football club, you play for the fans. They knew to get across the line, you know, they had to suffer. He was brilliant from start to finish and really won it for us. It's one of those that when you look back now, you think, well, it doesn't feel that big. But at the time, it was huge because of where the club had been. It was one of those games where you think, oh, you never know, we might be on our way back here. Despite the tournament beginning in 1961, it wasn't for another 20 years until Liverpool won it for the first time. And as Tony Evans explains, derision of the League Cup isn't a modern trend. People used to laugh at the League Cup, call it the Mickey Mouse Cup, particularly when Everton went close in 1977. It was like, you know, Liverpool had won you know, the European Cup, now the Champions League, and Everton were in the League Cup final, got beaten by Villa. So the next year... 1978, we played Nottingham Forest at Wembley. And this was right at the beginning of the Forest era. We didn't know that they were going to go on and win the title. They were in a good position then. And then go on and win two European Cups. But was the the first of the titanic battles we had with Forest. And drew nil-nil at Wembley. And they beat us 1-0 at Old Trafford. So by then, there was a little bit of 
there was more of an edge to it. So by the time we got back to the League Cup final in 1981, I think there was a much stronger feeling that we wanted to win it. The final whistle. Liverpool have won the League Cup for the first time. That first win didn't come easy, though. Against second-tier opposition in West Ham, the Reds were taken to a replay at Villa Park, where they had to come from behind to win. The King, as he often did, dragged Liverpool back into the game. Dalglee scored a goal, a magnificent goal into the Hulls' ends, where his body was going one way, the ball coming the other way, and ends up heading in a different direction to the far corner of the net. And how superbly it was taken there on the volley, on the turn by Kenny Dalglish, and that's 1 1. Mark Lawrenson, who would join the club ahead of the following season, wasn't surprised to see such quality from the Scot. He was just an ultimate professional, and I, I joke now when I go and do some stuff occasionally and do the odd speaking thing, and, and people would say to me, Who's the best player you ever played with? And I go, Kenny Dalglish, and I said, He's also the best player I ever played against because I had two years at, at, at Brighton. And then I'd go, yeah, yeah, Kenny Douglas, he, uh, hold on, he couldn't run, he couldn't edit, and he had a big fat arse, but he was a genius. And he was. He absolutely, totally was. So Douglas's magic set Liverpool on their way to glory, though there weren't as many fans there to see it as you might expect. What is remarkable, and the modern-day fan won't realise, is about what it was like to be a Liverpool supporter in those days. At Wembley... We were outnumbered by West Ham fans and Villa Park for the replay on a Wednesday night. There was only, what, 36,500 people there, which now it's inconceivable because whenever Liverpool get to a big game or a final, the place is flooded with supporters. But back then, things were different. The following season, the Reds would return to Wembley, the second of four consecutive League Cup final appearances, yet another record one now shared with Manchester City. With Lawrenson now in the ranks, Bob Paisley's squad was beginning to undergo somewhat of a rebuild. The League Cup years, the three, well, the four consecutive League Cup wins from 81 to 84 were a time of real transition for the team when they moved from the team of the late 70s through to heading into the post-Paisley era and beginning to put the foundations of Dalglish's team in place. That season... Before the final, on the Boxing Day, we played Man City at home. We got beat 3-1. Brucey had a little bit of an off day, made a couple of mistakes. That night, we were 14th in the table. 14th. Rush had come in the team. I'd come in the team. Ronnie had come in the team. Manny Whelan, Craig Johnson and Bruce. And, you know, you know what the press are like. And a lot, they're all going, they've had it. It's gone. You know, the, the glory days have gone. So, and then we went up 21, 22 games unbeaten and, and won the league. And it just basically, it just said to me, God, how good is this team and how good is it is it to play for them? Lotto's fellow newbies played their part as the Reds came from behind to beat Tottenham. Ian Rush rounded off the 3-1 win after Ronnie Whelan was at the double. Now it's Dalglish, he's onside. Is this the decisive moment? He's played for Whelan and he's done it again. Astonishing! The first time he's ever played at Wembley, and he's got two of the goals. 
it was the start of a remarkable journey because when he started, he was this thrusting attacking midfielder who get up and score goals. And of course, he got two in this final, one in the final the year after. And in many ways, that characterised him in the minds of many Liverpool fans for the rest of his career. As he went on, he made the transition into a, a sort of more thoughtful, deeper midfielder later on, and then finally to a, a defensive midfielder who sat in front of the um, the centre halves. And a lot of people later on in his career, like Ronnie Wheeling, your crab, get forwards because he was so magnificent in those early days. But he showed such versatility over the course of his career. And yes, we all have a fondness for the galloping forwards, Ronnie Wheeling of those early days. But he was a player who contributed to the success of the club in so many different areas. 1983 saw the Reds face Ron Atkinson's Manchester United. Liverpool would again have to overcome an early setback. Norman Whiteside gave United a 12th-minute lead, but it was far from panic stations. If you've got Douglas, Sunes, Rush, they were just used to winning things. And, you know, you went a goal down, nobody panicked because they'd been there before. And they were of the the view that, you know, there was was that much ability in the team that eventually we would kind of right the wrong. I remember Alan Kennedy got the ball. The outlet is the fullback, Kennedy. And just shouts, don't hit it from there yet. It's in! And went into the net, Barney Rubble. The man who scored in the Milk Cup final. There was always a suspicion, even though he always scored in finals. There's always the suspicion that when he shot from distance, it could go anywhere. And then, Ronnie Whelan's winner Whelan. was a thing of beauty. And again, Whelan's curled it. Brilliant goal. And the police went absolutely, well, our ends went absolutely mad. It was one of the most satisfying games I've ever been to because beating Man United, and you've got to remember, Liverpool didn't, beat Manchester United there often during the 80s. United won many of the battles and Liverpool won the wars. But we you know, we won at Old Trafford in 1981 and didn't win again until 1990 at our Old Trafford. So there was a great sense of United held the upper hand in individual games. But, you know, overall, we were the better side. So it was very satisfying to beat them in a cup final. As well as being memorable for beating a rival... 83 would also be significant for another reason. It was the last time Bob Paisley would take Liverpool to Wembley, having announced his intention to stand down at the end of the season. Sound familiar? People ask me the question, what was he like? And I just say, he was like my granddad in charge of the team. Never had too much to say. And we'd have a meeting on a Friday and he would name the team. And that was it. We didn't practice free kicks for or against... Honestly, at first you think, what the hell? Graham Souness, when he signed, I think the day before he made his debut, he went to Joe Fagan and he said, how do you want me to play? And Joe said to him, for effing sake, he said, we just paid 450 grand for you. If you, if you don't know how to play now, why are we signing you? And that's the way that they were. That sounds a little bit harsh, but they were just saying, work it out. I don't know any other club would, that would have done that. And what a good idea to let Bob Paisley in his last season as manager on his last visit to Wembley in that capacity 
what a nice touch that he should lead the team up. I'm sure the players and my mothers insisted upon that. It was a surprise at Wembley when the team let Paisley go up and get the cup. We were surprised that he actually did. And a lot of us at the time weren't sure it was good development. You know, managers going up to get cups. We thought, God, if United get in another final, Ron Atkinson will be up there like a shot. But it was a season where, you know, they won the League Cup and they won the league. And there was no sense from the players that they were affected by the imminent departure of the manager. And probably because, and again, the big difference with Klopp, there was an infrastructure in place where they knew a lot of the day-to-day stuff would run normally once Paisley went. I'm not so sure that's going to happen with Liverpool this summer, but one one thing I am sure is the players will have the same appetite to send Jürgen Klopp off with trophies the same way Bob Paisley got sent off. The last of Liverpool's fantastic four League Cup finals in the 80s would mark another historic occasion. The first ever all-Merseyside Cup final... The first final here on a Sunday. And a roar the like of which you've rarely heard before. The Everton game is one of the most special moments in the history of Merseyside football because it was the first time Liverpool and Everton played together at Wembley. And it was also at a time when the city was no longer a political strife. Uh, the council was odds with the government. And I always remember going down there getting the train on the Saturday and the train was just full of both sides, reds and blues. I always remember the train pulling into Houston and everyone unloading and the chant going up, Merseyside, nah, nah, nah. I've never felt prouder to be scouts. A drab match at Wembley would finish all square, leading to a replay at Man City's main road, with captain Graeme Souness leading by example, sending Liverpool to a League Cup, League and European Cup treble. We probably caught Everton at the right time because they became an even better side. I think beating your local rivals, you're only, what, half a mile across the park, is always nice. Always, always nice. Nobody sat, you know, at the start of the season and just went, right, i tell you what, let's make sure we win the League Cup, whatever it was called. That's the very first trophy we can get. We can't win anything else. It was just, I wouldn't say that it was expected but there was like an undercurrent of we win this boys and it doesn't half make a difference to your season it it does kick you on we parted maybe after the match but monday we'd be back in work as it were and it was just you know you wouldn't even see the cup <laughs> the cup had been put away by then and it was upstairs in the cabinet and it was also a little bit they didn't turn around you and say right you've won that like, you know, now let's get on with it. But it was just, it was this undercurrent all the time, which was, you know, oh, that's nice, but we've still got three more to go for. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Success had dried up as Roy Evans took his Spice Boys to Wembley to face Bolton in 95. At the same time, Take That were top of the charts. Steve McManaman struck twice for the Reds, who were hoping the good times were back for good. Whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want you back for good. All good play here by McManaman. He might finish it here. A super second goal. I think the first thing's got to be the word Steve McManaman, hasn't it? He was brilliant from start to finish and really won it for us, you know, played them off the park, really. I think Bolton really struggled with him. But before the game, I mean, I think the pressure was mainly on us. Bolton, you know, a, a division below us, even though, even though they'd done well and got to the final, I think everyone expected us to, Liverpool Football Club, to go and, you know, batter them 5 or 6 nil. But it was never going to be the case. You know, Bolton had got there for a reason and they had some really good up-and-coming players that later on in the years moved on to bigger clubs, didn't they? So Bolton had a really good uh, team. And, you know, on the day, well, you know, it wasn't a bad game. Uh, they, they fought hard and uh, they they gave us a good game. And they were lucky. They were unlucky in the end, I suppose, not to come away with something. While Rob Jones was feeling the pressure to deliver silverware, Simon Hughes remembers the significance it had for manager Roy Evans. It was a big, big trophy to win for Liverpool at the time because... Uh, Roy Evans had been in charge of the club for around a year and I think the fans were sort of looking for evidence of progression and this was it really. I mean, although Bolton were outside the Premier League, that they were a team that had beaten Liverpool previously under Graeme Souness and were a team that a lot of, a lot of teams feared in some ways because they were doing really, really well in the Cup. So it wasn't felt as though it was a gimme. But Liverpool won, won it quite comfortably in the end because of the brilliance of McManaman and it was like sort of the start that felt like the start of the that period really which people have mixed feelings around because it was a team that was had so much talent in it but unfortunately for Evans that was the only trophy Liverpool won uh, under him a man who's worked under Shankly and under Paisley and Fagan and Dalgleish and Graham Souness now brought a Liverpool side of his own to Wembley and is now just a matter of seconds away from winning it. Liverpool win the Coca-Cola Cup. They win it by 2-1. Roy Evans has made his mark as a Liverpool manager. They were close. They could have won an FA Cup final in 96. They could have won maybe you know, maybe two league titles. They were in the running up until April time into, into the Premier League um, season. So, in, in a sad way, it was as good as a got for Liverpool under, under Roy Evans, but... It was also quite an optimistic... I remember the feeling after that that, res- that result against Bolton was very optimistic and people sort of thought, this is the start of something. What went wrong over those years, just not sure. You know, we were close a couple of times. It just did not gel. But if you look at the players that, you know, we had, you'd have thought we'd have possibly won more over the years. And I think that was the expectation of a lot of people, including the fans. If you actually look at the ability of the players and, and 
the individuals within the teams, I, I don't think there was a great deal of difference. The difference, I think, really was maybe sort of Liverpool didn't have as much experience around, particularly in sort of the, the experienced players that Liverpool had weren't quite as good as the experienced players that United had. Maybe that's a too simplistic way to look at it and perhaps weren't as positive an influence at times. I think there was a lot of focus on, on the younger players in the Liverpool team when there were some of the older players were past that culture and in my view should have been sort of trying to maybe steer them away from 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 sort of some of the things that they got up to. But was that the reason why Liverpool failed? Maybe. I, th- I think it was mainly because on the pitch, they just didn't quite have that that discipline and that that know-how how to, when to say no. Like We don't need to go and attack from the off. We don't need to sort of attack while we're ahead. We just need to sort of sit in a little bit. That sort of um, streetwise uh, football that Liverpool were known for in the 70s and 80s wasn't quite there at that time. Six trophyless years would pass Liverpool by until red ticker tape would fill the card of Sky, with Liverpool winning on new ground down at the Millennium Stadium. While the Spice Boys era was over, one member remained, as Robbie Fowler made the Reds feel whole again against Birmingham City. at that time Robbie was just probably pleased to be probably in the team we had so many great strikers and Michael Owen would you believe didn't actually play a minute of that game and at the time people might also find this probably hard to believe but Emil Heskey was the first choice striker for the team that, that season up until that point it was almost who was playing along uh, alongside Emil Heskey and Robbie got the nod for that one because he must have just been in a slightly better form than Michael Owen at the moment, at the time. And then it was Michael Owen who sort of got back into the team towards the end of the season alongside uh, Emil Heskey. But yeah, it was it was Emil Heskey plus Robbie Fowler or Michael Owen. So that's that that was the it just probably shows you how well Emil Heskey had done that season. Jamie Carragher won nine major honours, representing the Reds in some of the club's most iconic matches of the modern era. And to bag his first, he showed the character that would come to define him. Stepping up from 12 yards. Well, I wouldn't take one of these for a million pounds. It's sudden death now, and we're only playing for a major trophy. Jamie Carragher, Liverpool born and bred. I mean, I wasn't too nervous or worried if I missed, really. I'm not really that type of... I'm not a big believer that, you know, whoever misses the penalty, it's his fault the team have lost. I don't I don't, I don't go along with that. I was still a little bit frustrated that we hadn't beaten Birmingham in normal time. So I almost went up with that sort of attitude of a little bit of anger, really, and I just sort of done a long run up and put my foot through it. And, uh, yeah, sailed right into the top corner. I'm not sure I was aiming to put it in the top corner, but that's where it ended up. Sander Vesterveld denied future Everton striker Andy Johnson from the next kick to land Gerard Houllier his first winner's medal, lifting the burden of expectation before delivering two more cups before the season was out. I always feel when you play for a big club like Liverpool, playing for Liverpool's not enough. You've got to win playing for Liverpool. Uh, and it did feel like the start of something. And not just because it was the first trophy one, but I just think the start with Gerard Houllier you know, a foreign manager, it was different to what Liverpool has had in the past. So it did feel very sort of like we, we it, it didn't feel like that was 
oh, this massive thing that we'd won the trophy, but it felt like it was the start of something, really, rather than, you know, everyone thinking, oh, wow, we, we've won a, you know, a trophy for, a, you know, the first time for a long time for the club. It, it felt like we were going somewhere. That was the vision of Gerard Houllier. If you're a Liverpool manager, you haven't won a trophy in the first two seasons, it can become, a, you know, can become quite a hard job thereafter, I would say. Uh, maybe Jurgen Klopp has dispelled that, but you could see the progression with the team with Jurgen Klopp. I think maybe the progression was harder to measure under Julier because the football wasn't quite as exciting to watch, but you could see that the team was getting stronger and that the, the resilience of the team was becoming better. I think winning that League Cup against Birmingham City, OK, it was a penalty shootout victory again against the team from the league below in the Championship. But... Liverpool overcame quite a lot of hardship in that game to get to that point of opportunity. It was a big moment in Liverpool's season because it sort of summed up what was to come after. You know, each of those cup finals, no matter who, which standard of team they were playing against, whether it was Arsenal, one of the, the great Premier League teams where Liverpool really struggled and were lucky to win that game, or Alaves, who were an up-and-coming team who were playing, obviously, the top flight of Spanish football. It was just a real struggle. And I think I think... The first final, those the struggle that those that first final in the League Cup really set them up for the rest of the season because they knew to get across the line, you know, they had to suffer. Speaking of having to suffer, two years later, Liverpool were back in Cardiff to take on Manchester United, and as Tony explains, Fergie's lads were the dominant force in English football. United, at this period, were a juggernaut. It had been a really depressing decade with United just. So dominant. It seemed that we, we, we couldn't beat them. It seemed that we struggled all the time. Yeah, I know they were the odds win, but it was... They, they had a number in no uncertain terms. And the worst thing was, in the 80s, we lost the battles and won the wars. In the 90s, we lost the battles and the wars. But as Jamie Carragher recalls, there was a quiet confidence within Julier's squad heading to Wales. It was something extra special because it was them. We weren't having a particularly great season. I think Manchester United went on to win the title as well that season. And uh, I remember we were in UEFA Cup, so we were playing Thursday. When people talk about Thursday, Sunday, we actually played on the Thursday before the Cup final. I remember going into that game a little bit paranoid about the fact of how I'd feel physically. So that was sort of, I know that was certainly at the back of my mind. But I think under Gerard Hurier, we were always confident we could beat United. We had a really good run and spell against them, uh, beat them quite often. So I think we had their number in terms of how to play against them and, and get a result, really. We didn't take them on at their own game. We were quite defensive and made it awkward for them, almost frustrated them. And, and that was the same that day. I approached the ground and went into the stadium thinking, oh dear, it's United. I don't want it to feel like 96 again. But once the game kicked off, I felt that I didn't feel we were going to lose. I was grew in confidence as the game went on. Again, our crowds were energised. You know, Our support was really energised because it was United. And perhaps United weren't so much because of all their success. And I remember sort of how frantic it felt and how brilliant it was when we won the Cup. I mean... Michael Owen scored late on to wrap it up. Michael Owen, the chance to finish it here. Owen, yes! It was on a bit of knife edge, you know, after uh, Stephen scored just before half time. But it was one of those games where you think, ah, oh, you never know. We might be on our way back here. 
On our way back, there was definitely a sense the good times were rolling again. Four cup finals and four wins under Julier. Safe to say, he left a lasting impact. Gerard Julier's role in sort of the, the modernisation of Liverpool, it can't be overestimated. You know, Liverpool went from being a club that, that sort of missed out on things and flaked a little bit when it mattered to a team that, that got the job done under Julier and he reinstalled that winning culture. One of the big things that Julier did was started, you know, starting to beat Everton. His record in Merseyside derbies was really, really good. I think that was a sign that Liverpool could could deal with the the rough and tumble. And, and since then, Liverpool's record in the derbies been incredible. And I think that helps, you know, when you, you you've got one over your rivals because it's a big game, and you know that going into big games, you know, you, you've got a sense of confidence. So. Over the next few years, I think that the team didn't change drastically under Rafa Benitez, but I think they became a team that, that who they changed Liverpool into a team that that was capable of winning big matches and trophies again. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. He lifted the European Cup seven years ago, and now Steven Gerrard, the captain of Liverpool Football Club, has his hands on the Carling Cup. By the time Liverpool returned to the League Cup final in 2012, those Cardiff finals were firmly in the history books, yet it was Cardiff City who stood in their way. Second-tier opponents would again prove to be stubborn, with Liverpool needing penalties once more to claim the Cup. A first trophy under new owners FSG, a club legend at the helm in Kenny Daglish, yet the mood wasn't one of jubilation, as Simon Hughes and James Pearce explain. It was more of a struggle in the Birmingham City game, 11 years earlier, you know, and Liverpool again won on penalties. But because of some of the performances in the league that year, it felt good, but it also felt like that they're still falling away by some distance in the league and they're not where they really should be, given the amount of money and, and the excitement that the season started with. So, yeah, it's a strange one to look back on in 2012, I think, because it was a game Liverpool were expected to win. They struggled to win, but I wouldn't say... It gave indication that Liverpool were heading in the right direction in the same way it did when Julier was in charge. It's one of those that when you look back now, you think, well, it doesn't feel that big. But at the time, it was huge because of where the club had been. You know, on the, what was it, two years before you had the, you know, the horrendous dark days of Hicks and Gillette. I think George and I will be very good custodians of the, of the Liverpool club. You know, a club on the brink of administration, you know, Roy Hodgson his short-lived, wretched spell as, as manager. Unfortunately, when you're Liverpool and you lose away to Blackburn, there's nothing that can be said which will 
put a, a positive slant or uh, make the situation look any brighter. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a, a really, really bad day. So even the idea of seeing Liverpool play in a showpiece final, let alone win a major trophy, it was it was really, really significant. And the fact as well, it was Dogleash. You know, the fact that he had something tangible to show for that that second spell as manager and, and for you know, for iconic names like Gerard and Carragher, it was huge for them. The fact that you know, it was their first chance to, to actually lift some silverware at, at Wembley and you know, even I know I know someone like Dirk Cout who obviously played a big part in the day, it means a huge amount to him because you know that was the only trophy he won during his Liverpool career. You know, you come to Liverpool to win trophies and um I think we were very successful. We had great results against against the biggest side in Europe. But eventually, you know, I became second in the Premier League. We lost the FA Cup final. Uh, we, we lost the Champions League final. And then, you know, I knew I was leaving Liverpool and at least you want to leave the club with, a, you know, some silverware with a trophy. So I, although it was the Carling Cup, for me, it was a really important one. And afterwards, you know, I started thinking by myself, okay, you know, I didn't win as much as I wanted to win at Liverpool, but this club really made me uh, a win player because after I left, you know, Liverpool, I went to Fenerbahce, mm. you know, we won uh, the, the league for for the first time since a long period. Uh, we won the cup, we won the Super Cup. Then I went back to Feyenoord in the first season, we won the cup as well. And then I finished my career with winning the league after 80 years with Feyenoord. So, you know, not winning so many things at Liverpool, yeah, didn't feel you know, satisfying, but after my career, look back, you know, this time at Liverpool made me really the player I wanted to be. For Dirk Kite, it was his only major trophy at Liverpool. For Jamie Carragher, it was his last, albeit in new surroundings. For me, I was coming to the end of my career and I didn't want to go that long without a trophy because we won a lot of our trophies quite close together and we'd, then we'd gone up probably five or six years without a trophy. Even as I said, we played the Champions League final, but we'd had a really good team under Rafa Benitez, but we probably didn't win enough or as much as probably we deserved, really, because we were a really top team, one of the best teams in Europe. But uh, we probably didn't. We probably should have won another Carabao Cup or another FA Cup just to add to what we got, really. So I wanted to make sure I finished my career, making sure I got my hands on another piece of silverware and to play at Wembley, really. So I was probably looking at it for quite selfish reasons rather than what this was going to mean for the club kicking forward, because I, I knew I wouldn't be too much part of it, really, as I was getting older. So, uh, yeah, I was just delighted that I got on the pitch, actually. That day was, you know, part of it. Uh, you know, Liverpool seemed to win the, the first trophy at the new Wembley. Number nine would take another decade to arrive, but if 2012 was hollow and uninspiring, 2022 was anything but. That triumph in 2022 was was one that really helped Liverpool generate momentum for the rest of the season. The big thing for Liverpool that season was that they had proper depth, which meant that Klopp could make changes and 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 still the quality levels remained. You know, I think back to the you know the three 0 win over Norwich in the early rounds when you know we saw Cade Gordon, Tyler Morton, and Connor Bradley make their debuts. You know, Minamino and Origi scored some really important goals. You know, neither of those players were regular picks in terms of when the Premier League games came around, but they they kind of knew their role, accepted it, and embraced it. And then, yeah, that run to Wembley really, I think it was energised by that that night against Leicester when they came back from two 0 and three one down uh, to win on penalties. You had Minamino getting the late equaliser, Kelleher the hero in the shootout. 
And then, of course, you know, the, it was a roller coaster in the semi, only a nil-nil draw against Arsenal in the first leg, failing to take advantage of Granit Xhaka getting sent off. And I think there was a fair bit of doom and gloom around the place. You thought, you know, now got to go to the Emirates without a lead. Yet that was right up there with the best away performances of the Klopp reign that night. You know, Diego Jota, clinical double, and the Emirates absolutely stunned by that. Yeah, Liverpool went went to Wembley full of belief, and of course, you know, people were just starting to talk about, you know, the the uh, the quadruple. People sometimes disparage Liverpool's performance in twenty one twenty two to win an FA Cup and a League Cup, and to get within a point of winning the league. That they lost out in the league to Manchester City, and they lost the Champions League final to Real Madrid. And I've got to ask you. Is there any shame in losing to Manchester City, arguably the best team ever to grace the Premier League or even the Football League, or Real Madrid, the greatest team in Europe? There's been quite a few amazing periods under Klopp. I'd argue that the 2018-19 season, the second, you know, the the second half of that season, that home stretch. Although Liverpool never won the league, I will always look back at that period as just. A brilliant period, you know, they won the Champions League. It finishes with them winning the Champions League. So you're never going to rue the Premier League in some ways because um, the Champions League was so great and there were so many great games. And, and it felt like that. It felt like that again, you know, the the second the second go at that where it was just a relay of matches. Exhausting, you know, absolutely exhausting being a, a player, I'd imagine, certainly being a reporter or a fan. It was, it was incredible. And I think... That that final against Chelsea, it was nil nil, but it was it was one of the best nil nil games that I've ever seen. It could have it could have finished four all. Chelsea probably had the better chances, I would argue. They were a very good side under Thomas Tuchel. While the game ultimately finished goalless and again had to be settled by a shootout, the Reds knew they could count on the luck of the Irish. This has been Quivine Keller's competition, really. It's been key, I think, as well as in managing to convince him to stay at Liverpool as long as he has done. Because, of course, he's ambitious. He wants to he wants to be a num- number one summer at some point. But I think, quite rightly, Klopp and his staff have kind of said to him, well, you know, the, these are your big opportunities. That was why, despite there being some interest in him in January, you know, Nottingham Forest were keen to sign him, you know, there was no chance that Liverpool were going to let him go. And also, why would you want to go when the managers just told you that in a few weeks' time you're going to be walking out at Wembley in a major final? We've he's a top, 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 top goalie. And when Ali's, when Ali's fit, then he doesn't have a lot of games. So and I want to give him desperately the opportunity to play because it's important for development and he deserves it on top of that because he's always there, he's, he's giving him absolutely everything. So I don't know exactly how many games he played now already, but with European League there were a few, and that's that's how it how it works. That's how it works. And he was really happy after the game today. He's not smiling a lot, at least when I'm around. But um, after the game, I could see he was really happy about qualifying again and having the chance again to win a second trophy in his career, which is uh, would be a big one. But we all know it's Chelsea, yeah? and they probably want to put history right uh, after playing us twice. Um, two years ago yeah but it's just great 
And so it all comes down to Sunday, a 14th League Cup final appearance with Liverpool looking for a 10th title. Only four weeks on from Jurgen Klopp announcing he'll leave at the end of the season. What impact could that have on the outcome at Wembley? When you play for that football club, which is why it's special, is you don't just play for the football club, you play for the fans, especially playing at Anfield as well. And there wouldn't have been a meeting. I don't think Van Dyke would have turned around and gone, right, boys, you know, we're going to try and win all these trophies for Jurgen. Because at the start of the season, that's exactly what you're thinking to yourself. Let's win as many of these trophies as we, as we can get. So, you know, I've read one or two things and people saying, oh, they'll probably give an extra 10%. Well, they shouldn't be because they should already have given that. Having drawn seven of the last eight with Chelsea, do we start preparing for another nail-biting shootout now? Kevin Keller has got a real, you know, love affair with this competition. I think he's saved more penalties than than any other goalkeeper in shootouts for Liverpool. You know, it's an absolute area of expertise of of his I and mean, we all hope it won't come down to that kind of nerve jangling finale this time but if it does I think psychologically you know there's a real strength there because of what Keller has done previously and, and of course you know the fact that Liverpool beat Chelsea on in shootouts in both those domestic cups two years ago um, and I don't think it's any coincidence that it was that season that they'd started working with Euro 11 these um, you know German guys Nicholas and Patrick uh, neuroscientists where they come in and it's all about brain training and ensuring players are in the zone to try and execute their penalty technique as as well as possible and be able to kind of cancel out everything else that's going on around you and and certainly the, when you speak to the players they feel as if they've got a lot out of that and it, it you know it certainly helps when you when you've got that history of penalty shootout triumphs I think that you know that is something you can really uh, draw upon when um, when the stakes are high. Could the stakes be any higher? It's Klopp's final running. Liverpool are competing on four fronts with injuries mounting and a young squad finding its way. Who knows? The League Cup could yet again prove to be Liverpool's springboard to even greater glory. If you can win a trophy with another, I don't know, six weeks to the end of the season, it makes you feel good and it does spur you on most definitely. And I think. The current crop, if, if they do turn Chelsea over, which you'd expect them to, it just gives you that really nice feeling, which is, OK, one down, let's have a real go for the, for the rest of them. Playing in things like the League Cup final, the Carabao Cup final, it allows you to deal with the nerves of a big game and to come to terms with it. And to, for players who've never been there before, it gives them that valuable experience which they'll need, hopefully, for even bigger occasions later on. And... With a bit of luck, this game against Chelsea, for some of the young lads who are coming through, like Connor Bradley, it'll give them a chance to win a medal and it'll give them a taste for it and they'll say, you know what, I fancy a bit more of that in the Europa League and I fancy maybe a game on the last day of the season where we can win the title. Thank you for listening to this special League Cup production here on Go Deeper. The programme was presented by me, Keeve O'Neill, and produced by Guy Clark. The show was written by Guy Clark and Keeve O'Neill. Contributions are made by Tony Evans, Mark Lawrenson, Rob Jones, Simon Hughes, Jamie Carragher and James Pearce. Remember, you can share your feedback with us by rating or reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. This has been an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.